0: died for us. We love you. Amen. How's everyone doing on this beautiful August morning? Fantastic. It's so great uh, to be here with you all. See all your smiling faces? Unfortunately, um, I don't have any adult clothes, so I just (laughs) had to wear what I had. You're just lucky I didn't wear shorts and uh, tank top, so I at least tried to dress it up a little bit. Uh, It's so great to be here with my good brother, uh, Pastor Thomas. Uh, He's a great man. We met years ago at our church in Atlanta, and we've been very good friends ever since that time. And it's so good to see all the good work that he is doing along with you here in Athens. And so I'm just happy to share uh, in some of that work with you this morning as we share in the Word of God. Is that okay? All right, let us pray just for a second. God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share your Word God, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, speak through us. Let us hear your voice clearly. God, prepare our hearts that we might hear a word from you that when we leave this place, God, we won't leave the same way that we came in. We just thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to be talking just for a few minutes this morning from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter. In just a few verses, we're going to be reading verses 4, actually five, 6 through 8. It reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The topic of our talk this morning is stranglehold. Stranglehold, why your mind won't let you breathe. So we're talking about worry or anxiety. The reality is that we all worry. We worry about all types of things. We worry about money. We worry whether we're going to have enough money to pay our bills, whether we're going to have enough money to pay tuition, we worry about whether we're going to have enough money to retire when we get older. We worry about all types of things relating to money. We worry about acceptance. Are people going to accept us? When I, when I show up on the first day of class, will people accept me? Will people like me? Will people know who I am? Will people talk to me? Will I have any friends? We worry about love. Will I find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right? We worry about whether our relationship is going to go the way we want it to go. We worry about safety. Will something bad happen to me? That's why we all have alarm systems and locks, because we're worried about our own personal safety. We worry about all types of things. In fact, some of you are worried right now. You're worried that this sermon is going to go on too long. (laughs) Let me assure you, I won't be here any longer than two or three hours. I promise. (laughs) promise. No, we're going to keep it short today. Interestingly, the word worry comes from an old English word, uh, weirgen. You don't have to know the etymology, but it's interesting that that old English word "wirgen," it means to seize by the throat, to choke, to strangle. The word that we call worry means to strangle, to choke. Isn't that really an incredible image? When we allow our minds to be consumed by worry, we're literally putting ourselves in a stranglehold. It's interesting, Jesus used a similar imagery in the parable about the sower. You know the story about the farmer who sowed seed, and some of it fell on the path. The Bible says that the people trampled on it, and the birds came and ate it. And then there was seed that fell on the rocky place, and the seed grew quickly, but it was taken away. And then there was the seed that fell on through the thorns, and the Bible says that it grew up, but it was choked out. Jesus said that you're choked by life's worries. There's something about worry that strangles our possibilities. It strangles our hopes and dreams. Worry is paralyzing and somehow prevents us from getting to where God wants us to be. Because we end up investing too much emotional energy in things that really don't even matter. There's a Swedish proverb that says, Worry turns small things into big shadows. I, I know this by first-hand knowledge. So, how many of you like spiders? Anyone? No. What? what? Where did you come from? <laughs> well, fair, that's fair enough. I, I mean, I know, like, I know that they're good. Like, they're, the snakes get rid of the other vermin, too, but I don't like them, right? So, I hate, I hate spiders. I hate spiders. I mean, like... The worst thing, the only thing worse than seeing a spider is after you see it, not being able to find it anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the worst thing. So, about a month ago, we were driving home from church, and I, you're, we're driving down the street, and I look out the window, and there's this spider. I swear, it was about this big on my windshield. Right, I mean, maybe it was that big, but it was still, it was, it was an, and it wasn't like one that I'd seen before. It was like ugly and hairy, and I just, I was just totally grossed out and scared. But so we're driving, and then about 10 minutes later, I look, and it's still on the window. And so it's, course, it's on the outside, but like I can't get out the car with that spider still on the window, right? And so I started trying to drive faster and swerve, and he, he was resilient. He would not go anywhere. So finally, like he crawled up on the roof of the car, and I was like, now what I'm going to do? Because, I mean, if he's like... On the roof of the car, when I get out, he's going to jump on me and attack me. And and, and so I was was just so worried. I was so paralyzed. And we get to a restaurant, and because it was on my side, I I, I wasn't going to get out of the car until we found that spider. And I made my daughter get out the car (laughs) so that she could identify the spider. And I got out, and I got it off the car. But I, I, I wasn't going to get out until we could find that spider. Because I was so worried about what could happen that I was paralyzed. I, I couldn't even move. I couldn't even get out of the car. And that's what worry does to us. So let's talk about worry. What, what is worry? This is my definition. Worry is an unwarranted concern about what could happen. It's an unwarranted concern about what could happen. It's unwarranted. That means there's no good reason for it. There's no justification for it. You shouldn't be worried about whatever it is that you're concerned about. Think about the term unwarranted. We know that police, when they uh, investigate a crime, they get a warrant, right? In order to get a warrant, they have to prove to a judge that it is more likely than not that a crime was committed. So they gather evidence, and they talk to witnesses, and then they can get a warrant to go get, you know, to search somebody's house. And so if they don't have evidence then they can't get a warrant. And and our worry is unwarranted when we don't have evidence that supports the worry that we're feeling. Right? There's no reason to believe what we believe about what could or potentially happen in our lives. So next time you're worried about something, just ask yourself, what's your evidence? Why, Why do I feel this way about this test? Why am I worried about this test? Is there any evidence That I should be worried. Why am I worried about my relationship? Do I have any evidence that supports the worry that I'm feeling? The reality is that the vast majority of time, worry is simply about what ifs. It's simply about what ifs. It's about what could happen, not not what's likely to happen, not what is probable, but simply what if. What what if I don't get the job that I want, or what if I get fired from the job? What, What if I get cancer what if what if this relationship doesn't work out what if i go all the way to athens and stand on the stage and nobody laughs at my jokes and i don't say the things that i was supposed to say and i have lettuce in my teeth this sounds oddly specific to me right now <laughs> but worry is this internal monologue that talks us out of what god has for us simply because what if what if we worry about things that haven't happened yet and aren't even likely to happen. You know, most of us have a fear of flying, or many people have a fear of flying. I mean, people are deathly afraid of flying. They feel like, for some reason, that Delta jet is going to fall out of the sky and crash. Now, I mean, it, it could happen, but it is so unlikely to happen that your fear of crashing is unwarranted. And so many people have this worry that they created an app for it, so that you can know the exact likelihood that you're going to fall out of the air. I mean, for most flights, it's 1 in 5 million or 1 in 11 million chances that you're going to crash. So if you're going to take a flight every day for the next 14,000 years, then you have evidence to worry. But otherwise, we're just wasting energy on something that is so unlikely to happen. Many of us who have kids, we're worried that something's going to happen to our kids. That somebody, some stranger is going to come and take them away from us. They're going to kidnap them. Now, I mean, the reality is it it could happen, but it is so unlikely that it doesn't deserve our concern. I mean, you are more likely to get struck by lightning or win the lottery than you are for someone to kidnap your kids. Come on, let's be honest. We're family, right? Nobody wants your kids. I mean... (laughs) And if they took them, like in a couple of days, they'd probably bring them back anyway. <laughs> I'm just, I am just—I know your kids are adorable. I mean, look at these three. They're adorable. <laughs> but we worry about that, and there's no reason. There's no evidence that it's likely to happen. There was a story of this married couple. They were uh, talking, and the, and the husband says to the wife, why are you always worrying? You're always worrying for no reason. And you worry and worry, and it never does any good. And the wife says, that's not true. It does do good. He said, because 90% of the time that I worry about something, it doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) We worry about things that are so unlikely, it doesn't make sense for us to worry. See, worry is more than just a recognition that something could happen, that something could go wrong. It's more of an expectation that something bad is going to happen. It's almost an expectancy that what you fear is going to happen. It's, it's the belief in Murphy's Law, what could go wrong, will go wrong, and at the worst possible time. So it is in this context, in this, this reality that we all worry, that we worry about things that are unwarranted, that are unlikely to happen, that we see the text that Paul uh, writes in Philippians. And it reads, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. It's interesting when you look at the way this is phrased, it's phrased as a command. It's not a suggestion. Paul isn't saying, here's an idea that I have that you might want to consider. It's a command. It's in the imperative mood. Don't worry. Be happy. Do you, that, that's not in the text. That, that's, <laughs> that's Bobby McFerrin. Uh, but says, do not worry. This is a command to you. So the fact that this is a command means two things. First, it means that we're likely to worry. There's a recognition in the text that as human beings, we are likely to worry. God wouldn't have had to give us a command if it wasn't something that we had a propensity to do. We're likely to worry. The second thing that this tells us is that worry is a choice. Worry is a choice. We choose to worry. Look, I understand that There is a medical condition that leads to anxiety, and there are biological and chemical reasons that some of us are more anxious than others. I understand that. But but the reality is that in most instances, when we're worried about things, we have made a choice. We have made a decision to worry about whatever it is that's out on the horizon. We're making a choice. And we're making a choice that my desire to worry is more important than God's command to not worry. We're making a choice that my, my desire, my interest in worrying, because worrying makes me feel comfortable. It, it makes me feel like if things go wrong, well, I expected it anyway. We, we shelter and, and protect our feelings by worrying. I remember a comedian was talking a long time ago when Mike Tyson was fighting. Everyone remember Mike Tyson? I know you young folks may not. But Mike Tyson was the baddest man on the planet. I mean, he was the heavyweight champion of the world. And this comedian made this joke about how you know all the boxers go in, like, Mike was bad, and no one could beat him. And all the boxers would go into the fight, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to take Mike out. I'm going to knock him out. And he was like, no, you're not. Like, if I were fighting Mike Tyson, I would just say, well, I'm probably going to lose. Because then, when I get knocked out, it was like, at least I didn't say I wasn't going to get knocked out. <laughs> and that's what worry does for us. So when that thing that we feared happens, then we can say, well, I expected that all along. I knew I wasn't going to get the job anyway. Anyway. It's not my fault. I mean, I knew that this relationship wasn't going to work out. This is what I feared all along. I was worried that I wasn't going to pass the test, and it didn't happen. So this is what I was expecting, and somehow it makes us feel more comfortable. But the interesting thing about that is that we know that God has told us not to worry, but we worry anyway and disobey that command without even checking ourselves. I mean, how many times have you said, I'm worried about that test? I'm worried about paying my bills. I'm worried about my kids. And, you know, most, most good church-going folks, like, we don't readily admit to sins that we commit without saying, I'm working through that, right? I mean, we don't, we don't say, yeah, I sure did gossip last night, right? But, but how often do we say, I'm worried about this? I'm worrying about that, even though God has told us not to worry because we've convinced ourselves that somehow that if the problem is big enough then it's okay to worry but but look at what the text tells us we should not worry about it says don't worry about anything Says, don't worry about anything not not just don't worry about the little things but don't worry about the big things i know things are hard And it might seem like there's every reason to worry. But God tells us, don't worry about anything. We have a flow chart that will help us understand when we should worry. So it's very simple. Do you have a problem? No. If you don't have a problem, then don't worry. All right, that's easy. Well, do you have a problem? Yes. Can you do something about it? No. Then then don't worry. All right, let's go back. Do you have a problem? Yes. Can you do something about it? Yes, then don't worry. So this tells us (laughs) every circumstance in which we should worry. God tells us don't worry about anything. You know, Jesus gives a similar command in Matthew chapter 6. Let's take a look at it. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I will tell you this. My son does not worry about what he will wear. He will go out in any and everything. Who knew that he was just that close to Jesus? I just didn't, I didn't realize that. <laughs> it says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. It says These birds are, who are not nearly as meaningful as you or valuable as you, God feeds them. Verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, we know this verse very well, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So when we read these verses, we see that worry reveals a few things about us. It reveals at least three things about us. First, worry reveals your craving to be in control. See, the reality is we all want to control every aspect of our lives. And, and we are deluded by the illusion that we can control our circumstances and outcomes. So then worry becomes the natural response when we feel things slipping out of control. Right? You want to control your relationship, and it's not going the way that you anticipated and so you try to manipulate your circumstances, but it's not working. And so you begin to worry that it's going to fall apart. See, we don't worry when we have everything under control, or at least when we feel like we have everything under control. When I have money in my bank account and I can pay all my bills and buy food for my kids, I have nothing to worry about. But it's whenever I feel like I don't know where the money's going to come from to supply my needs, that's when I begin to worry Can I be honest with you? The reality is that you don't control anything. We feel like we control, but life constantly reminds us that at the end of the day, we don't control anything. And it's that tension between our desire to control and the reality that we cannot control anything that creates the anxiety. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, By worrying, can any of you even add a single hour to your life? Jesus says that that your worry doesn't even produce the results that you want. In fact, worry often leads to the negative consequences that you fear the most. I mean, from a physical perspective, the more you worry, it leads to high blood pressure. It leads to all kinds of ailments. It leads to loss of appetite. That might not be all that bad for me. I probably could lose a little bit of my appetite. But, but we worry trying to control things, and worry doesn't control the outcomes that we're trying to manipulate. And so we spend all this time worrying, and all we get is what we worried about in the first place. So worry reveals the, our craving for control. Second thing that worry reveals is the fragility of your faith. Fragility. It's fragile. It's weak. It's just, it's, it's, uh, I just tried to find two Fs. Sorry, I used the word fragility. The fragility of your faith. Look at verse 30. It says, If God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. See, the reality is that we worry about all of these things because we don't have enough faith. Worry is not an emotional issue. It's not even a physical issue. At the end of the day, worry is is a faith issue. It's a spiritual issue. Our propensity to worry or to not worry indicates how much or how little faith we have in God. See, when we worry, we're saying one of two things to God. We're either saying, God, I don't believe you want what's best for me, or we're saying, I don't believe you can do what's best for me. When we worry about our outcomes, we're saying either of those two things. Either I don't believe God, that you want what's best for me. Or if you do want what's best, I don't believe you can do what's best for me. That's it. When we worry, it says much more about our beliefs than it does about our circumstances. It's an indication that at some moment, at some area in our life, we don't fully trust God. Because when you think about it, when we fully trust God, if we really trust God, whatever that is, the outcome doesn't matter. Because we know that at the end of the day, God has it in his hands, that he wants what's best for us, and that whatever he wants, he can do. So we worry that the outcome is somehow outside of God's control. But when we build up our faith, we know that God is in control, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for you. There's an old song, an old congregational song that says, we've come this far by faith. Leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word, he's never failed us yet. You know, I think many of us have to go back and remember where we came from and who brought us from where we came. You know, some of you came from humble circumstances and God brought you all the way to Athens to the University of Georgia. Some of you on a full ride, you don't even have to pay. If God took you from where you were and brought you to where you are now, why do we have any reason to worry? You know, the Israelites, they, when they would go to battle and God would deliver them from their enemy, they would often set up a memorial of stones. They would, they would create this stone memorial so that they could remember what God had done at this spot. So whenever they came back to the memorial, they saw the memorial and remembered what God had done before, and that gave them courage and confidence to go and fight the next battle. I, I just wish some of us would just set up some stone memorials in our minds. So, that when we're faced with difficult circumstances of our life, we can look back and remember what God has previously done, and we know that He can bring us through the next battle. Amen? So, the third thing that Word reveals is the priority of our pursuits. It reveals our our priorities and our our passions, our preferences. It it reveals what you care about. I guess it was about a month ago, I was watching, um, was that Wimbledon? Was that the last one? And uh, Nadal was playing against some guy. I can't even remember who it was. And uh, I, turned on the, I turned on the TV that morning just to watch the match. And like, I was like, my son asked me who I wanted to win. I was like, Nadal, because I've heard of him. And so I, like, I didn't really care. And he was losing. He lost the match. And I didn't really care. So when he was losing, I wasn't worried, right? Because I didn't really care about it. It wasn't a preference of mine. It wasn't a priority of mine. Didn't care. So go back five years ago, in 2013, January 13th, 2013, I think, was the first time I ever spoke here. And the reason I remember that date is because Pastor Thomas actually invited me to come preach when the Seattle Seahawks were playing the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta. I live in Atlanta, and I grew up in Seattle. That's my favorite team. (laughs) And so I love the Seahawks. I love the Seahawks. And so I, I, I finished preaching here, and then I ran to the car and drove as fast as I could back to Atlanta, so I could watch the rest of the game. Now, you guys may remember this game. I'm sure a lot of you are Falcons fans, right? So the Falcons were up 20 to nothing in the first half. And, like, I'm just, I mean, on the way back, I'm just in knots. I'm worried, and I don't want to have to go to my office the next day after all these Falcons fans can gloat because they beat my favorite team, right? And I'm so worried. And then I get home, and obviously I was the good luck charm, obviously, because the Seahawks (laughs) come back, and they take the lead 28 to 27 with 31 seconds left. Do you guys remember this? And then Matt Ryan like, throws two passes, and then they get a 50-yard field goal, and they win the game. I, and, and to this day, I hate the Falcons. Like, <laughs> they used to be my second favorite team, but after that, I was done with them. But, but I was so worried about that game because I cared about it. Right? Many of you, you guys watched the Oklahoma game, and uh, that was kind of the same way. I mean, Georgia wasn't looking very good in the first half, and you were worried, right? I was watching that game. I was worried. And the second half came, and it was, you know, God will deliver, right? <laughs> but, you, but you cared about the game so much that you were worried about it. And, and so, so the reality is that, that we really only worry about those things that we really care about. So look at what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about all these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, because the pagans, they run after all of these things. Because that's a priority for them. That's what's important to them. The things of the world are what's important to the pagans. And so they naturally worry about it because that's what they care about. But Jesus says, you shouldn't worry about that because that shouldn't be your priority. Your priority should be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness when that becomes our worry, our, our 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 focus, our priority, then we don't worry about all of these other things. We don't worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live. We don't worry about money. We don't worry about acceptance. We don't worry about what people are going to think about us. We don't worry about our safety because all we're focused on is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's nothing wrong with caring about something. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, what is your priority? The problem is when our concern distracts us from what should be our preeminent concern, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. At the end of the day, what difference does it make if you pass the test? I know you want to. I know it's important. But the question is, what impact are you having on the kingdom of God? So how do we control our anxiety? How do we stop worrying? So when you look back at Philippians, which was the verse we read Paul says, don't worry about anything, but here's how you fix worrying, by prayer and petition. He says, instead of worrying about anything, pray about all things. And interestingly, it says, then the peace of God will come. Now, you notice what is not in this text? It doesn't say, don't worry about anything, but pray, and then God will answer your prayer, and then you'll have peace. It it doesn't say pray and then God will give you what you were worried about and then you'll have peace. It just says pray and then the peace will come. There's something about praying the right way that brings peace. See, peace isn't in the prayer answered. Peace is in the proper asking. Because there's something about praying the right way that brings peace automatically. Because when, when we really pray to God in, in, with the right spirit, what we're essentially saying is, God, I can't handle this. I've come to the recogn- recognition that I don't have control. And so I need you. I, I need you. It's, it's surrendering our problems to God. It's taking the weight off of our shoulders and giving it to God. Have you ever had a project, either in school or work, and you were just stressed out because maybe you have too much to do or you didn't know how to get it done. And then a coworker or one of your classmates says, I'll do that part of the project. And even before they get it done, a weight is just lifted, right? Because it's, it's in a, a recognition that God actually has the problem in his hands that brings the peace. It's saying, God, here, you handle it, you figure it out because I can't do this on my own. Paul says, don't worry, but release your problems to God. It doesn't mean to pretend that the problem doesn't exist. It just means to believe what's true about God. You remember when David went to fight against Goliath, right? And all the other Israelites said, he's too big, and he's a warrior, and he'll destroy us all. And David said, let me take a look at this uncircumcised Philistine. Yeah, he's big. He's a mighty warrior, but my God is able to deliver us. Because God, David put Goliath on the scale, and he put God on the scale, and he realized that once you compare God to your problems, your problems don't even uh, amount to anything in comparison. I dare you to begin comparing your problems and your worries to the power of God. We sing the song, Our God is Greater, Our God is Stronger, Our God is Higher than Anything. That means he's also higher than your problems and your worries. If you would just put God on the scale and compare him to your worries, there's no comparison whatsoever. So we just pray. We pray not only um, just saying words to God, but we make petitions to God. The word petition in the Greek it means a request made with urgency in recognition of a presumed need. It's a prayer that recognizes our urgent need for God. It's a posture that acknowledges our inability to control anything. You know, when I don't know what else to pray, all I say is, God, I need you. I don't even know what the fix to my problems looks like, but I know that you know, and I'm putting my trust in you. We also pray with thanksgiving, Paul says. There's something transformational about a thankful prayer. Because when you begin to thank God for all that he's done, all of your problems, your challenges, your circumstances become insignificant in comparison. you were worried about paying tuition, and then you begin to think about how God has fed you every day even though you didn't have money. You begin to think about how God has restored relationships that you thought were irretrievably broken. And even in the midst of praying, you forget about the thing that you were worried about because you have a thankful and grateful heart. When we begin to thank God, a joy rises in our spirit. My purpose when I started praying was to ask God for something. But when I began to think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, something just happens to me, and that peace of God begins to overcome. And there's nothing that I worry about any longer. So the peace transcends, the Bible says, all your understanding. That's an interesting concept. That means that a peace comes that just doesn't make any sense. It's not explainable. Even if you try to explain it to your friends, particularly those who aren't believers, they won't even understand how, when you're faced with the challenges you're faced with, you still have peace in the middle of it. It's really an irrational peace. It's like the peace that the Hebrew boys had. You remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was, they were about to be placed in the fiery furnace, and the, the king Nebuchadnezzar said, You have to bow down to me or we're going to throw you into the fire. And not just any fire, but this fire is seven times hotter than it's ever been before. And they said, you know what? We believe that God is able to deliver us. So we're not worried about anything that you can do to us. But I think what was more powerful is they said, even if God doesn't deliver us, we're still not worried about it. We're still not going to bow down because we know that whatever the outcome is, it's for God's glory. And that's the attitude that we have to have. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. I might have a desired outcome, but I put my trust and faith in God that no matter what the outcome is, I know that God gets the glory. One of my favorite stories is the story about this man who turned 100 years old. And on his 100th birthday, a reporter came to interview him. And he asked him, What is the key to long life and longevity? And this man who had just turned 100 years old, he looked up and thought about it, and he said, when it rains, I let it. When it rains, I let it. There are some things that I just can't control. And I don't get tied up in knots by those things. I just let them happen. Similar concept is in the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't, to give me the strength to change the things I can change, The, what is it? Wisdom. Yes, the serenity to accept the things I can change, the strength to change the things I can, and the, the wisdom to know the difference, right? It's that idea of this peace to accept those things that I can't change. And we saw that flow chart. Why should I worry about something that I can't do anything about? And why should I worry about something that I know God can do something about? The key to overcoming anxiety, to stop worrying is to realize that there is a strong and good king on the throne and to recognize that you're not that king. And when we get to that place, we can pray with thanksgiving, without worrying about the outcome, that's when the peace of God will overcome us. Let us pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your peace. God, we thank you that you hear our cries, that you are a good father, that you know the problems that ail us. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to overcome our anxiety, to overcome our worry, to put everything in your hands. God, we don't know all the answers. We don't know all the outcomes, but, but what we do know is that we trust you. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.